about the strides female entrepreneurs of color are making. Be inspired by their story and enlightened by their leadership, insight, and advice. Welcome to Win Hers United. This is Season 7, Episode 6, entitled More Self-Care and Less Trauma with Shay Nicole. I'm your host, Nicole Walker, and I believe that business, mindset, personal development, and self-care are the four pillars to entrepreneurial success. This is why Winhers United is your one-stop shop for business, mindset, personal development, and self-care conversations with winning women of color entrepreneurs. This episode is packed full of major gems. But before I get into the gems, let me tell you more about Shay. Shay Nicole, also known as the Trauma Heal Her, is a licensed trauma therapist, self-care coach, and educator who makes it her business to help women erase the shame and guilt of putting their needs first. Shay is the founder of The Healing Spot and Inner Wellness Collective. It is Shay's mission to break generational trauma, helping women rewrite the narrative for generations to come by healing the brain as well as the body. During this episode, Shay gives us three ways to overcome trauma. She tells us what attachment styles are and provides examples of what they look like. She also gives us seven ideas for our self-care regime and she provides practical advice to avoid burnout. In addition to this, Shay drops three of her favorite books on us, which focuses on self-help as well as trauma. So go over to winhersunited.com forward slash podcast if you're interested in purchasing any or all of the books Shay mentions. I left the link there to make it easy for you. And now, without further ado, here is the interview. All right, so Shay, welcome. We appreciate you joining us today, and we're excited to learn more about you and your journey. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right, so let's get started by you telling us about your background and what you currently do professionally. So I currently, I live in Atlanta, but I've been here since 1991, so... I consider myself probably a native at this point because that was first grade. <laughs> so I was an army brat. I grew up here. My dad decided to leave the army and we moved here and we've been here ever since. And I guess I had a typical black upbringing. <laughs> and I have two kids. I'm married to a wonderful husband of three years. So I have a three-year-old and a 15-year-old. So I have a big age gap and I am a mental health therapist here in Atlanta where I work with lots of women who have experienced trauma in their past and that's my specialty and I'm helping women to navigate their healing while they are breaking those generational curses. Okay thank you oh that's much much needed right oh my goodness yeah don't feel bad my two children have a 14 year age gap right so okay. no judgment this is a no judgment zone right people <laughs> yes. normally look at me with the saucer eyes after i 
I can relate. I can relate. That's why I was like, oh, a kindred spirit, right? No worries. <laughs> All right. So tell us about how you ended up in your current profession. So I started off in my degree in college. I thought I was going to be a pharmacist. And I was like, this is it for me. This is the position for me. So when I started off in college, I took the intro to psychology class that everybody has to take. And I was hooked. I was like, this is, this is the career for me. I was so interested. It was so fascinating in that first intro to psychology class. And I started there and it kind of just took off from there until I got into the field and I started working with people as a paraprofessional, more so on the skill side of things. And I started seeing all of these women that looked like me that had similar stories. And I was like, you know, I really want to help y'all, but I don't, I need to get the training to help y'all the appropriate way. So I ended up going to school for counseling and here I am today working with women, mostly black women who have experienced trauma and I'm making sure that I'm staying on top of my game. So I make sure that they get the resources and tools that they need to help them heal. Okay. Thanks for that. I love that you started in one place, but something happened along the way that got you in another place, right? To me, that lets me know that we don't have to have it all figured out, but as long as we go on our way, we end right. up where we're supposed to be, right? Right. Okay. Yes. So you talked about like resources and tools that help women with trauma. Do you want to go just quickly into what something like that looks like? Well, there's a multitude of things. First and foremost, therapy is like the biggest thing that I always will end up back referring clients to. If they are able to work with me, make sure to figure out a way to get them aligned with someone who specializes in trauma or a therapist that's trauma-informed in their area or what and whatever they're looking for that is aligned to them. But other tools and things first is understanding like what trauma is and that could be in the form of education a skills workshop and I always go back to body work as far as the start helping clients understand the importance of meditation deep breathing being aware of what your body is doing and and what's happened to it because a lot of times trauma gets stuck in our bodies and we have to help it processed through. And oftentimes when I'm in um, working with clients, I help them to start there first with grounding themselves. So grounding skills, meditation, skills like that are the first go-tos for me when I am talking about trauma and healing. Okay. Thanks for that. I love that. Right. Cause to me, You wouldn't necessarily think of that when you think of a tool to heal trauma, like deal with your body or look at your body or pay attention to your body. I think we often overlook what is a simple answer, but yet not simple to conceive, not necessarily simple to get into doing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for that. All right. So you talked about wanting to be a pharmacist, right? When you went into college. But is that what you wanted to be when you grew up? Tell us about that. Yes, for the most part, I stuck with that idea in high school. At first, I thought about being a cosmetologist and a makeup artist. 
because I do have that artsy side to me that I really like to do those things. And then I got to the point of thinking about generational wealth and quote, a fast way to get there to me would have been pharmacy because I was thinking about, well, what is something that would be a high paying position after college or where I, my job would never be obsolete. So it was pharmacy. I didn't want to see blood. I didn't want to be a nurse. I didn't want to be in the thick of the medical field, but kind of like an ally and pharmacy was like, that sounds safe and nice. And so I went that way. I was like, well, you know, I don't want to graduate from college and then have debt. And so I was thinking like along, along the lines of the financial stuff. And so pharmacy was it. I was gun ho on making sure I stuck with that. And then of course, here comes that psychology one-on-one and <laughs> it changed. I don't know if my parents weren't happy. They were like, what are you doing? Like, what, this is your major? And I was warned by a lot of people just change, change back <laughs> to <laughs> my major. And, you know, I've been enjoying the learning aspect in my process and growth of becoming a therapist because I love to learn. That's always been a innate part of me. Yes, yeah, I can relate. Yes, yes. I love that we have similar paths as far as choosing a degree for like what's safe, what's money, right? Like I chose computer science in school and I really didn't know what I wanted to do, but I was like, oh, okay, they're making money. Let me do that, right? But lo and behold, neither one of us are where we thought <laughs> we would be, right? So I find that to be interesting. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So... You talked about your upbringing as a child a bit. Do you want to touch on anything else in relation to your upbringing? Sure. I feel like in Black culture, Black families here in America, I can't speak for other countries. A lot of the, you know, oh, what goes on in this house stays in this house and, you know, children are to be seen, not heard. So a lot of that was echoed in my house. I know once I got older, like my parents were doing what they thought was right. They thought they had the skills and the tools to raise me as such. And I don't necessarily fault them. I fault the many generations of no one really informing parents on like, you know, this stuff is harmful for your kid and that this will follow them into adulthood. So making sure that we still cultivate those feelings and those emotions in our kids, listening to the things that they have to say. And I didn't get that experience. I got the, you know, this is my house. This is the rules. This is how it goes. I don't care how you feel. And, you know, kind of ruling with the iron fist parenting style. And so looking back, I'm like, my parents had did what the best that they could. And again, I don't fault them for that. But again, it followed me into adulthood and I was like, what's going on? And of course, I got my own therapy for that to help process what occurred in my childhood. And now I'm helping other women do, do the same exact thing, learning about why those things still follow them into their adulthood and what they can do about it. Okay, thanks for that. Yes, I can relate. Sounds like we're probably within the same generation, right? <laughs> Yeah, and I feel like 
like you don't have a voice, right? So you don't know how to speak up for yourself, stand up for yourself. You allow things to happen that shouldn't happen. Right. And so for a parent that's listening that may still be carrying on what they were taught as a child, right? To their mm-hmm. children, like what are some of the ways that this can negatively affect a child like into adulthood? Can you go into that briefly? Mostly surrounding children's beliefs about themselves and their self-esteem, their own confidence, and a lot of the negative things that parents say to their kids may hold a lot of weight. So children may grow up thinking that they're not pretty or parents may say negative things to them concerning their weight, things that they do in general, and and kids can just grow up with low self-esteem, feeling like they're not good enough. A lot of parents are big on grades, and so nobody wants their kids coming home and failing and making bad grades, but making sure that the messages that go behind that aren't the whole, like, if you don't make A's and B's, then there's this line that you can't cross, and I'm no longer talking to you, or I don't love you. So still having that balance between your kids doing things that you don't approve of, but still being able to express that love and emotion that you have for them. Just because your kid makes an F doesn't mean you don't love them anymore or you're not there for them, but perhaps there's a lesson that you can help them learn or understand in that instead of doing a lot of punishing or a lot of consequences and things like that, talk to your kids, see what's going on in their mind because we want to get behind the reason of why, but also how they're feeling and to not shut that down because then kids are going to grow up into adults where they believe like I didn't have a voice I'm not going to be able to speak up for myself I didn't have a choice so a lot of adults that I see now struggle with that of being able to make choices for themselves to speak up for themselves and advocate for their needs and talk about their feelings and parents are a pivotal part of that development when their kids grow up. And when I tell you, when I start teaching what I call attachment styles to adults, their eyes are like, like, wait, this is a thing. And I was like, yes, everybody needs to know about attachment styles. And I love teaching that to my clients and whoever is ready to listen (laughs) so that they can understand how their parents' attachment styles or development when they were children, impact themselves when they were growing up. Okay. All right. Thanks for sharing that. Look, now that you mentioned it, look, we got to touch on these attachment styles now. Listen, give us a brief run through. So basically, attachment styles have everything to do with how your parents raised you in your developmental years. And attachment styles usually reference adults when you're in an intimate relationship with someone else, but also how you interact with your kids. So there's four of them. So I'm going to just briefly touch on them. The first one is secure attachment style, which everybody wants. Secure attachment styles, you have a healthy balance when it comes to conflict. You address it. You don't ignore it. You're very warming, but you are able to have a balance of dependent, independent relationship where your mate can go out, have fun. And you're like, all right, I'm going to go out, have fun with my friends. And there's not a lot of codependency going on in that relationship and that there's just a healthy balance overall. 
and your children are secure and they, they feel like they're being listened to. And, and so that's what secure is in a whole. Then we have the anxious preoccupied. And anxious preoccupied people are used to codependency. They may not know how to be autonomous and they may be overly like needy, want continued validation from their partners. Like, do you love me? And they're asking them that all the time. And they may be high conflict and not know how to really address conflict. And so a lot of their conflict is bred in yelling or just really high conflict overall when it comes to having conversations or not really letting their partner go out and be independent of them. And there we have the dismissive avoidant, those that don't like to be involved in conflict. Those are people that really like an independence over being in a relationship. They keep their partners at arm's length. They prefer to be alone. They have a really hard time expressing their emotions. And then we have the disorganized attachment style where there's a lot of trauma in their background as children. They could have PTSD, may have some drug problems as far as trying to numb that pain. And they might be rescripting their own trauma, past trauma into their relationships or into their, the way they raise their children as well. So those are the four attachment styles. It has everything to do with how your parents interacted with you and how they teach you to handle conflict, talk, have conversations, express emotions. And a lot of times we grow up and we're like, we're not, I'm not going to be anything like my parents. And we, we, <laughs> we think we're not. And then um, subconsciously, we, we just fall back in line with it. And then we catch ourselves one day and we're like, oh my goodness, this whole time, I thought I was doing everything unlike my parents, but you're still falling into what is familiar to you. And you're still like, teaching that to your children or it's showing up in your relationships with other people. And so I tell people, I was like, attachment styles are way more important than love languages once you get to that safe, secure relationship with someone, then let's start focusing on the love language within your relationship. But let's first figure out what's your attachment style and what are some red flags you can look for when you are dating other people so that you're not repeating these patterns of getting with people who are emotionally unavailable for you. Girl, you just look, I just learned today. I feel like I, I fell into a couple of those spectrums, right? Right. Yeah. Wow. People, you might get stuff from each. You might not fall completely into one. Most people find that they align with one more than the other, but you might have pieces from each one. And that's very true. And you might also, when you're learning more about it, you're like, oh, that's my mom. That's my dad. And, and a lot of people find that their moms are the anxious, preoccupied people and their dads are dismissive, avoided. And that's how it's normally fallen from most people I've spoken to even my parents. So I've learned, I'm like, I got a mixture of both of those. So I have to be conscious and aware of things that I do so that I can undo it so I can start working towards the secure attachment. Thanks for sharing that. Totally off the script, but it's needed, obviously, somewhere. I love what you said as far as being aware and being conscious, right? Because just because something was one way for however long, if we want to change it, we can with the right action, you know, with the right, with paying attention and just being intentional 
about right. making a change, right? So that that gave me some hope, right? I feel like I need to, I'm gonna have to <laughs> do some soul searching when we finish this one. So thanks for that. All yeah. right, so tell us about a pivotal point in your life and how it shaped who you are today. I have a lot of pivotal points. <laughs> I believe I went through a lot of challenges as more so as a kid as as, as as an adult but for me it mostly centers me because I start I, I had my child my first child at 19 so it was like that moment when I had her I had to stop the games because I was failing out of, I was failing out of college like I was doing really well in college once I got there I was just like whatever and not really focusing on my intended goals so after she was born, I tell people like my daughter saved me because I was not going in the right direction that I was supposed to be going. Once she was born, all that stopped. I got back my Hope Scholarship, which in Georgia is for teens that you know graduate, have good grades and things, and you get like this free scholarship that comes from the Georgia Lottery. So I had lost my Hope Scholarship. So I had to work to get it back. And after she was born, I got it back. I stopped playing all the games. My grades went up. I got back on track and I graduated, got my own place. So I feel that was a pivotal part of my life. I don't know if, where I would be if I didn't have my daughter. And a lot of people frowned upon, you know, teenage pregnancies and things like that. But for me, when she was born, I was like, well, I got another person to take care of. I can't be out here doing all this stuff that I was doing before. So that helped me really put things in focus. And I was laser focused. And I graduated in the same year I was supposed to. A few semesters behind, but I did it. I was derailed, but I got back on track. Okay, thanks for that. We are kindred again, right? <laughs> I had my daughter at 17. I say she saved my life. Like I had no direction. I had no focus, even though I had a lot going for myself. Mm -hmm. I wasn't there. Right. Mm -hmm. But once I became responsible for another person, like everything changed. So I can totally relate, you know, and it's like, like I don't promote teenage pregnancy, but right. for me, it saved my life. Right. So it's so crazy to me how that works out where it's like, you know, like this was so bad in society's view, but yet, where would I be if this hadn't happened? Like, I, I yeah, exactly. Right. Totally relate. <laughs> All right. Hey, it's Nicole jumping in really quickly to say thank you for being a supporter of When Hers United. Did you know that we're on Clubhouse? Follow me at When Hers United on Clubhouse so you can join me there and we can engage in conversation. I would really love to have you. So tell us what you're currently doing to improve yourself personally and or professionally. So personally, in my business, I'm taking a miniature break. So I'm refocusing myself to just move the unnecessary stuff off my plate that I was doing before so that I can really focus on feeding back into my self-care Referrals for mental health therapists, especially Black therapists, has probably doubled or tripled. Mm. So a lot of us are full, and I'm at my capacity. So to help me make sure that personally I'm okay to see as many clients as I do, I have to make sure that 
my self-care is on point. So I've been taking the time to realign my self-care so that I can really get the rest and regeneration that I need to be present with my clients. I say about 90% or 100% of my clients have some type of trauma that we're working on in sessions. So to be present there and to hold that space for my clients as of late, I've been working on self-care because I noticed that I was like, wait a minute, wait, what's going on? I'm feeling like I'm headed towards burnout. So when the first few signs came that I was like, mm, things aren't really right with me right now. What's, what's changing so that I could refocus. I'm still seeing my clients, but I'm taking the time restructuring my schedule to make sure that I have the energy that's needed to pour back into them. Cause if I didn't have anything to pour into my clients, then I'll be running on fumes. So that's why right now I'm really focusing on a lot of self-care. Okay. Thanks for that. So that looks for you like just reorganizing your schedule or is there anything else particular that you're doing? Uh, it's a lot of things I'm doing as far as, yes, I'm restructuring my schedule to make sure that one, I'm seeing the clients that I'm, I like to see because as therapists, we all have different specializations so I want to make sure that I'm seeing the clients I'm supposed to be seeing so that I am happy about who I'm seeing and who I'm working with. That's the first part. So I'm making sure that one, I don't see more than two clients back to back. So I can take a bathroom break, eat a snack, maybe take a short nap, do what I need to do for myself so that as a person, I'm okay. Cause I was seeing three back to back. And I was like, after the third session, I was like, Oh, I need a bathroom break. I need to eat. So I'm trying to do all this stuff before the next three comes up. And I was like, I need to slow it down. So yes, restructuring my schedule, seeing who I really love to see or work with the issues that I love helping or working with, making sure that I am off enough days in between my clients and making sure there's time enough for me to get that self-care, meaning going for a walk, sitting outside, get some vitamin D on my skin. Okay, thanks for that. That's awesome. Yeah, I like those. And it's not grandiose things. Like, I think people think self-care has to be something grandiose, but it's just paying attention, going back to that intentionality, right? Like right. Major, major. Right, definitely. Self-care, I tell my clients, it's intentional, and it doesn't have to be a vacation in Mali. It can be something real simple meditation, prayer, if that's something you do, journaling, taking a brief walk around your neighborhood, sitting outside, reading, whatever, you know, floats your boat that's healthy and good for your body and your spirit, do it. Um, don't do too much of it because then it'll, it, <laughs> it may, <laughs> may not fare well. If you do too much of a thing, it may not be good anymore. But just doing something in small doses, like I love yoga, I love meditating and things like that. And I'm about to set up my space so I can make sure I can do that every day so I can re-energize and be rejuvenated for the day. Okay. All right. Well, you're leading right to the next question. So tell us about your morning routine. Yes, I love getting up before everybody else does. Because once the kids are up, once my husband's up, it's like, it's like things are just going really fast because my son gets ABA therapy. He has autism. I got to make sure my teenager is up so she's up and doing things and not just being a teen and like 
you know, wallowing around. So I have to be mommy mode once they get up. So I try to rise before they do so that I can get that time. And it could look like me meditating. So I at least try to do one thing, not like a whole gamut of things, because I don't have that much time from the time they get up into the time they may take a nap or go to bed. But in the morning, I try to be intentional with some type of form of meditation, yoga, journaling. Most of those are even talking, uh, doing some self-affirmations in my meditation so that I can double up on that at the same time. But that's primarily what my morning routine looks like and getting me some coffee from my Keurig. <laughs> yes, yes. Thanks for sharing that. And you brought up a good point, right? Because I, I find myself struggling with so many things that I want to do in the morning, but yet I don't have all of these hours. Like I haven't programmed myself to wake up that many hours ahead of time to be right. able to do all of the things that I want to do, right? So mm-hmm. I have learned to focus on two things. So that was a good point. Like, you know, don't overdo it or try to overdo it, right? Because it could be defeating if you mm-hmm. don't do what you want to do. You know, you want to do 10 things and you don't get to do the 10. That might make you give up on it. As right. to do two things. Do one thing, you know, and do that well, and then try to wake up earlier and earlier, go for it. But if not, be content in doing something, right? Right. All right. So you touched on the next one. I want to hear about those personal affirmations. Can you share one or two with us? Yes. My personal affirmations normally surround abundance. I used to struggle with thoughts of me not being successful or thinking that I wasn't going to have clients. Now I'm full. And (laughs) so I normally have my self-affirmations around my business is growing abundantly or abundance flows to me easily and naturally without much effort. Because I believe like in the space of the universe and the energy, making sure I put out there what I want and making sure that it helps to flow it back to me. And if things are truly for me, then they will flow to me as needed without me having to force them to happen. So a lot of my self-affirmations are surrounding abundance and growing and being successful in what I do. Okay. Thanks for that. I love it. I love it. All right. So tell us about the last book that you read. Ooh, I read a lot. I read and I listen to books. Typically, my books <laughs> are self-help books. Excuse my French, but You Are a Badass is one of my favorite self-help, like, enrichment, empowerment books. Unf Yourself is another one that I just love hearing books or because I do a lot of audio books. So I drive, Atlanta has a lot of traffic, so I'm doing a lot of driving. And so I like to do that. I, say, I tell people, I say, if I can't read the book, I'm going to listen to it. Okay, thanks for sharing that. So tell us about the toughest struggle that you had to overcome and how you overcame it. Being a single mom is not a joke. I tell people, they're like, my friends are like, I don't know how you do this. Like, because they became parents later on in life. And then they'll come back to me and was like, how did you do this by yourself? Like. Are you crazy? I said, probably a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Because, yeah, I was, you know, parenting her. 
running a household, working two jobs consistently until I got into the mental health field. I started working one, but I was consistently working, trying to parent. So I felt like I was juggling like a million things at one time. Not, you know, I didn't have the help. I had the help of my parents, which I was so grateful for, you know, allowing me to work two jobs because I was working my second job on the weekend. So they kept her on the weekends so I could work. So grateful for that. But I was just being pulled in so many different directions and being able to pull back from that later on in life. Because I went and I finished three degrees parenting. I was just like, how did I look back? And I was like, what was, what was, what was I thinking? Because I was like, I, I don't know how I did all of that. And so I look back and I'm grateful for the drive and the energy that I had. But I'm like, woo, pull back. So I had to pull myself back. It was like, you're not superwoman. Time to let's take the cape off. You know, I'm married now. I'm grateful for my husband being my partner and helping to raise our children and to run the household. But the challenge that I had to overcome then in juggling all of that and being able to undo all of that as far as learning that I can't do everything. Sometimes I still struggle with that and having to sit and like, I can't do everything. Who can I delegate this to? Or let me take off all these hats and figure out who can help asking for help and making sure that I'm not doing too much. Because then of course, if I'm doing too much, wearing too many hats, I'm putting my energy all these different places, burnout comes. So I know that, yes, I have all these grand ideas, but I need to pull back first and reevaluate, be realistic with myself, ask for the help that I need. Okay, thanks for that. You talk, you're talking to me, right? Uh, I can relate. Yeah, I look back like, how did I do that? Like, you know, when I tell a person, they're like, oh my goodness, you know? So we are amazing women. <laughs> you know, we are amazing at how much we carry, but you, you made a great point as to realizing that we're not super women, right? But we've been, is it, have we been taught? Is that like a generational thing that we've been taught to carry so much? Right. So making a conscious decision to be okay with letting it go so that we can be whole, because that's why a lot of us are so fragmented and all over the place. Right. And and not at the peace that we deserve to be at. Right. Because we're in pieces. Right. So. Right. That is so true. I, I teach my clients that self-care isn't natural. It wasn't taught growing up. I didn't never really saw my mom practice self-care when I look back on those things and I was like I don't remember her just saying I need a day off and you know just taking care of herself and even my other family members I don't remember seeing anybody intentionally teach me what that means as far as having self-care having the space to just we don't have to always be on we we, we don't have to run a million uh, mile sprint all, every day so I love that I'm undoing that for my daughter and like, you know what? If you need a nap, go take a nap because I don't want the crankiness of the teenagers or the, or the toddlers. So I love like, if you need a nap, take a nap. If you need to walk, you know, let me know what you need for your self-care. And I've talked to my daughter about what that looks like for her because I didn't learn that growing up. And so not knowing what self-care was, my mom was like, if you're not working, you're not, you're not doing enough. So it was always like, 
you need to keep working. You need to keep doing. Fun, what's that? <laughs> so even when she was keeping my daughter, she was like, I'm not keeping your daughter for you to go out and party or out to go to have fun. You better be working or going to school. And so I, it, I was like, if that, I look back on that and I was like, that's, whoa, like parents need fun too. Moms need fun too. We, we have to kick back, relax, put up our feet because if we don't, then we're headed for burnout. And that's not good for us, our family, our children, other people around us, or the people that we work with. So right now I'm like, I'm a self-care advocate or self-care coach, because if we don't do that, we're running around here doing all these different things and we're running on fumes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. Yes, yes. <laughs> Look, I'm, I think I'm gonna take a nap when we're done here. <laughs> I'm a nap, nap advocator. I right? take naps almost every, every, I think almost every day in between my sessions. I will go lay down and take me a 20 30 minute power nap and be ready and back up. I love my naps. <laughs> yes, I did a research on the benefits of naps. Like, it's so many health benefits of naps. and. I feel like, you know, naps can be looked down on. Like, are you lazy? Or, you know, mm -hmm. it's that whole stigma, right? No, I'm trying to be productive, right? Right. <laughs> All right. So tell us about an aha moment that you had lately and how you've changed as a result. About two to three years ago when I decided like, hey, I'm going to be a trauma specialist. My aha moment was in training like when I go get my CEUs and or continue education credits for those people that aren't familiar with that, we have to do that as therapists. My aha moment was like, I was like, nobody taught me this in school. Like, what? So a lot of the things that therapists will tell you is that we learned the basics in grad school. So once we got out, we started taking the CEUs in within the specializations we wanted to work in. That's when we get our aha moments of like, oh, this is how you properly work with XYZ. So there's this pivotal book. I encourage anybody to read it. It's called The Body Keeps the Score. And once I read that book and had my trauma training, I was like, whoa, this is how our bodies keep track of the trauma that happens to us. And so I was like, my people need to know this. So every time I have a client and I work with them, I'm like, we're going we to do some education right now. Sit back. We're going we gonna to learn why you continuously are triggered or why you're holding on to stuff because your body does not forget. Mm. And there's so much research out there to support this and why I do, I call myself a body, mind-body therapist where, a brain-body therapist where a lot of my modalities are rooted in releasing the trauma from our body so that we can heal because our bodies remember. And even pre-verbal trauma from when we were younger, it's there. And so learning to let go through our body first to help process it properly, I was like, my people need to know this so that we can heal properly. And I'm sure rooted in our ancestral lineage that back in Africa, they probably had these things there to help us. And it got lost in translation along the way of like shaman and things like that. But bringing that back into therapy and to help people heal spiritually so that it's done 
I, I like I don't like saying the right way, but it's done to the point where it impacts those spots in our body, and it's really helping us to release that. Because when I see trauma therapists, and I'm like, you're doing CBT, I'm like, no, 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 no. Talk therapy, in my opinion, just doesn't work with trauma. You really have to get to the root of it, and that's through our souls, that's through our bodies, and a lot of times I'm finding that helps in the treatments that I'm working with, with my clients. Okay, thanks for that. Hey, so tell us about a leadership practice or principle that governs your life. Learning to listen to what other people have to say, because as leaders, we don't know everything. Nobody, I don't think anybody knows everything, but being humble enough to understand that everybody has something to add to the pot and being able to take from that to help you be an effective leader. So being an effective leader is first, take care of yourself so that you can be present for the people that you are leading. But second, listening to other people and their opinions and their ideas and taking that into consideration when you are leading because that's needed. You can't lead just based off your own ideas and not being able to take constructive criticism or feedback or suggestions, then what kind of leader would you be if you can't do that? Mm -hmm. So I definitely like the fact that that's something that's a part of me. I don't mind when people come to me and say, hey, this is wrong, or you, you didn't do this, or I don't like the way this made me feel. And being able to make the changes and adjustments is needed because everybody is different. And so I think that's what makes a great leader is when they actually listen to the people that they are leading. Okay, thanks for that. Totally agree, right? And to me, that goes back to why you do what you do, right? As far as having a voice and your voice is important, what you think is important, right? So yes, full circle. All right. So do you have a recommended resource that you like to share with us and tell us how you use it? There's an app. I love meditating. It is so helpful. But there's actually an app for people of color called Liberate. Oh. And it's an app that has different meditations or, you know, just different things that help you focus. And they're really short, really quick. You know, people are busy. And it helps you just refocus on what you need. And they have different categories of what you're looking for. Like if there's any negative self-talk or positive thoughts you need to focus on. And I just love it. It's really short. It's quick. But it helps to also, it comes from that lens of social injustice and making sure they build that in there, in there for people of color. Mm, I love that. I've never heard of that one. Yeah. Yes. Good. Thanks. All right. So do you have a favorite quote that you'd like to share with us? I will say this is a quote that I repetitively say in my therapy sessions with my clients. You cannot control anything other than yourself. So you can't control other people, what they say, what they do, what they believe. And to always remember to focus on what you can control. And that helps put a lot of things in perspective for people because a lot of times people are upset and angry over things that they can't control. And so I love to encourage people to focus on what they can control in the situation to help maneuver it back to where 
wherever you feel like it should be going. But focusing on more so that what we can control normally helps so that we're not so uptight and, you know, got our panties in a bunch about things that we can't, but trying to focus on things that we can control will help redirect our energy to more things that could be effective to help make that change happen. Okay. Thanks for that. Yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So before I let you go, I want to ask what I consider to be the fun questions, right? I love travel. I feel like travel is definitely a form of self-care, right? So I like to know about your last vacation, your favorite vacation, and where your next vacation will be whenever we can vacation. (laughs) So my last vacation was our family vacation. We have an annual trip. We normally go to Destin. I love Florida as far as the beaches. And I love being near water and having the, the sand between my toes, just listening to the water go back and forth and the natural rhythm of the ocean. I would love to go back to a beach. And so I hope my next vacation will either be near water. I'm even trying to figure out if I can find a vacation home I can rent that has a pool. So that can still be a little source of water. <laughs> Not the same, but something. Yeah, COVID came through and ripped up my vacation plans. So I believe in vacations. Like, they are needed. But I right now I've been taking, every three months I take a week off. And, you know, I try to just do some self-care stuff during that time now since I can't go anywhere. Okay, good point, good point. Yes. I want to talk about it. I had a couple <laughs> things canceled. Like, ugh, but anywho. But I keep going back to the beach. I just love it. Dustin is beautiful, though. It is. It is very, very beautiful. And I just love the beach. Like, if I could be near a beach, I want to, my goal is to eventually live near a beach so that I could just walk and be there and don't have to actually take a vacation to it. I love the beach. Like, that's my meditation spot. Like when I'm meditating and I'm bringing that image up or if I need to go to sleep, I'll just think about the beach. Like that is just <sighs> one day. <laughs> hey, I love that though. Yeah. Visualization, right? Yes. You can go there whenever you want. Yes. That's been my substitute lately. Just like <laughs> visualize it right now since I can't have the real thing, but I'll have it back one day. Yes. So, Shay, tell us about any events, offers, services that you want the listeners to know about, where they can find you. Okay, I do have a website, shaynicole.com, S-H-A-E-N-I-C-O-L-E.com. And there I have a a seven-day journal. So it's something really quick. It's digital. It's $7. And it helps people to start recognizing they're hurt to heal. So start increasing that awareness of how trauma may be showing up in your life or chronic stress may be showing up. And it has some mindfulness tools in there that helps you walk through some of those body exercises I've been talking about and also giving you some daily journal tools for seven days because, you know, it just helps give people the jumpstart that they need before having therapy or starting therapy. So maybe that you, it's a tool you can use 
And of course I have more seven day journals that will be coming out. And I have a wearyourselfcare.com brand of clothing that advertises self-care. And so, you know, go get your hoodies, your shirts, and you'll be able to um, wear your self-care and start the conversation on what self-care means to you and making it a norm in the community so that we can start taking care of ourselves and not feeling guilty about it. Okay, well, thank you. Thank you, Shay. Yes, self-care, self-care, self-care. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. We appreciate you joining us today and just sharing your story and your insight with us. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of When Hers United. I hope you found this episode useful and can take at least one thing away to better your life. Please, please, please don't forget to give us a rating and review on your favorite listening application. It would really make my day if you could. As always, be empowered and empower on.